Amen. The Bible speaks of different kinds of deception. We've looked at four so far. Um, this is going to be the fourth one. It talks of self-deception, talks of deception of signs, of deceptive signs and wonders. And there's, thirdly, there's also the deceitfulness of riches. I think we dealt with that last week where we looked at the deceit, or two weeks ago. The deceitfulness of riches. There's also deceptive doctrine and teachings. Today we're going to look at the deceitfulness of sin. Now I know it doesn't sound like a very sexy topic. You know, if I had a, if I had a seminar on, uh, you know, or a program or some sort of a conference and the topic was the deceitfulness of sin, I wonder how many in the body of Christ would show up. If I said the topic was your breakthrough is here, that aha, there you go. You see, there was a shout of approval there. But when I said the deceitfulness of sin, it was like, why did I come to church today? God is going to bless you today. I said, God is going to bless you today. You see, there's bad news about sin, and there's also good news about sin. So I want you to stay right to the end. If you're watching me or you hear the sound of my voice, don't turn it off till you hear the end. Amen. But we're going to talk about the deceitfulness of sin. You know, sin is not one of the topics that is preached a lot these days in the church. I'll say that again. Sin is not one of the topics, the subjects that people preach about uh, in the church. In fact, there was a time in the 60s and probably in the 70s that that was all that was preached, and that was also wrong. But now it's almost like you never talk about sin in the church. You never preach about some of the things that displease God. But you know what? Jesus never shied away from sin. There was a woman that was caught in adultery that was brought to Jesus by some, some religious folk that wanted to see what his reaction would be in terms of the law of Moses stoning this woman, you know, because they could sense he was a God of, he was a, a person of grace. And so they brought this adulterous woman caught in the act. Somehow they brought the woman and not the man. But anyway, they brought the woman and then they asked Jesus, you know, should they stone him basically according to the law? And then Jesus said, anyone who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. The Bible says then they all started leaving from the eldest. They all started leaving. And then Jesus looks at the woman and says, look, I don't condemn you. But she says, where are your accusers? It says that, you know, that they've gone. It says, well, I don't condemn you. Jesus was the only one without sin. And yet he says, neither do I condemn you. But he didn't stop there. He also said, go and sin no more. He wasn't shying away from sin. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. Amen? You remember those, those, um, a man who was healed and, and, and Jesus met the man after a while and said, make sure you don't sin some more. Let something worse come on you. He didn't shy away from that. Jesus spoke to his beloved church in the book of Revelation. And for, for most of the five of the, of the seven churches, he brought up the things that displease him. Sin. He didn't shy away from that. Jesus actually said the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The apostles spoke about sin. You look at their epistles and, and, and Paul talks about sin. He, he warns the church about the consequences of sin. Peter the same way. Jude, James, they all didn't shy away from it. So why does the church shy away from sin? We shouldn't. We shouldn't shy away from sin. The writer of Hebrews, and a lot of people believe, scholars believe it's Paul, he makes the statement in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. He says, exhort or encourage one another daily. Now, this is quite an interesting exhortation or command. He says, encourage one another 
every single day while it is called today. And he says this, lest any of you be hardened in your hearts through the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. Now, notice what he's saying. I want you to encourage each other every single day. It was so important to, to the writer of Hebrews, I believe it was Paul, that he says, make sure you are encouraging each other. Not once a month or, or once a week during testimony time, but daily. And he said, because sin is deceitful and it has the result of hardening your hearts. So it was a warning. It was a warning. The Amplified Version puts it this way. The deceitfulness of sin, its cleverness, the delusive glamour, and the sophistication of sin. Most of us embrace that which is clever, that which is sophisticated, that which is glamorous, but it can be deceptive. And the, and the writer Paul is saying this. Sin can be deceitful. It can mislead us. It can trick us. That's what it's saying, deceitfulness of sin. You see, there are certain sins that uh, seem attractive, and, and, and even in terms of the advertising, you, you, you see that wonderful car, and, 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 or you see the, the job that is, is, is promising you more and more prosperity, and, 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 and you can just jump into it, and before you realize, the love of money has sucked your love for God. It's deceptive. That's why riches can be deceptive. Prosperity can be deceptive. Now, I'm not saying prosperity is bad. You know, I've, I've preached on the deceptiveness of riches. So, it's very clear that God loves to bless us. Amen? He loves us to have prosperity. That's why he blesses us with it. But he does not like prosperity having us. That's why he warns us against it. So, there always has to be balance. Nevertheless, there are certain sins like the love of money that can be deceptive. Even unforgiveness. You may think, oh, I'm not going to talk to this person ever again, and you know it hurts them. But what it is, is that it's a cancer to your own soul. It hurts you. It's deceptive. And the other kind of sins, you know, that, for example, there may be a temptation to, 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 to engage in adultery, and man, it may, in the heat of passion, it seems, man, this is so good. But then it can lead to a lot of stuff that can affect not only you, but your wife and your children. It's deceptive. Fornication can be excellent in the moment. But it's deceptive. Now what is sin? What is sin? The Bible defines sin as unrighteousness and lawlessness. I'm going to come into the definitions in a bit. But it actually defines it in the first John chapter 5, 17. It says that all unrighteousness is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. First John 3, 4 says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. So sin is unrighteousness. Sin is lawlessness. That's the Bible definition of sin. Sin is lawlessness. So what is unrighteousness? Unrighteousness is anything that is not right with God. Anything that displeases God. Anything that grieves God is unrighteousness. Amen? And that is why the Bible says in John, Romans chapter 14, 23, whatever is not from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23 says, whatever is not from faith is sin because it is unrighteousness. Okay? Lawlessness is the Greek word anomia. And that word means it's the condition of being, it's being without law. 
you know, it's, 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 it's being ignorant of the law or deliberately violating the law or rebelling against the law. That's lawlessness. In the natural, it's a state of disorder that is brought about by blatant disregard for the law, the rule of law. You have lawless countries. Some countries like Somalia are said to be lawless countries because people don't keep the law and they are law unto themselves. You know, and in the, in the spiritual, in the Bible sense, the lawlessness is disregard for the law of God or the statutes of God, the commandments of God, the instructions of God, the principles of God is disregard for that. In a, in a sense, it not submitting to God. It's like rebelling against God, the will of God. It's like doing what God says, don't do. Or not doing what God says, do. The Bible says in the book of James, for example, that knowing what to do and not doing it is actually sin. It's actually sin. Now, you can sin in your thoughts, in your, your actions, obviously, and also with your words. So it's all encompassing, you know. And it's interesting because the Bible says that without the law of God, we wouldn't really even know what sin is. Okay, so in Romans chapter 7, 7, it says, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had said, you must not covet. Right? So basically what it's saying is that before, you, you know, the, before the law came, we wouldn't really know, except for our conscience, what was right and what was wrong. But the law shows us. It, it shows, opens up the, uh, the sense of what God considers wrong, what he considers right. What he says is pleasing to him, what is not pleasing to him. So basically, the law shows us what sin actually is. Now, in the Bible, there are different references to sin. That's what they call sin is sin. There's trespass. There's, there's transgression. And there's iniquity. Now, I'm not going to go into all the study of it, but just briefly, sin is the Greek word hamatia. Hamatia. And it means missing the mark. Missing the mark. It's to fall short of the standard of God. All right? It's like somebody, an archer, who is trying to hit a target, and when you don't hit the bullseye, you've missed the mark. That is what sin really is, missing the mark. So you see in Romans 3.23, it says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of the, of, of the glorious, of his glorious standard. It says, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. All of us. That means you and I, we fall short of God's glorious standard. Right? Okay, that's what the Bible is saying. We miss the mark. Then there's transgressions. Transgression is kind of presumptuous sin. It's when we deliberately choose to, to sin. You, you know, it's like you, you know something is wrong, but you do it anyway. You know, that's a transgression. It's, it's a little bit like you, you, you know the next words or sentences that are coming out of your mouth are lies, but you do it. You know, you're, 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 the, 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 on, you're on the 401 and it says 100 kilometers an hour. But you go 120. You, you know it's 100. You're, you're, you're transgressing. You know, it's presumptuous sin. Then there's iniquity. And iniquity is the purposely choosing to continue in a specific sin without any remorse. So you're saying, man, this is my lifestyle. You choose to live in adultery. It's not like you fell one day because you had too much to drink. But you're saying, no, I'm going to have two. I'm going to have my wife at home. Bless God with my kids, and secretly, I'm going to have another young lady, and you're living that way. That is iniquity. 
You're staying in the sin without any remorse. The Bible gives an example of that in Micah chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. Notice what it says. They devise iniquity. They work out evil on their beds. At morning, like they practice it. It's like it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Now, one of the reasons why sin is deceitful and dangerous is because it, it subtly hardens the hearts of an individual. It hardens the heart. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The heart is really the core of a, a person's being. So, you know, I, I can go into a whole study of the heart, but just essentially is that part of your being that makes decisions that, um, Jesus put it this way, a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things, Okay? Is that core of your being that will, will motivate you to do either do good or do evil? Sin can harden that part of your heart so that you are more inclined towards sin than inclined towards the purpose of God. A hardened heart, let me just describe a hardened heart. A hardened heart resists and rebels against the word of God, of what God says. When you find that you're always resisting what God's word says, you're rebelling against it. It means you have a hardened heart. I'll give you the scripture. Hebrews 3, 7 says, that is what the Holy Spirit says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as, is, as Israel did when they rebelled. Notice what it says. Every time you talk about hardening hearts, it's about concerning the word of God. In that particular scripture, in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, it often says, quotes this scripture, today when you hear the, his voice, don't harden your heart. It always has to do with what God has said. With what God has said. Sometimes you hear a sermon, and then you turn on YouTube, and you hear it in another way, but you, you decide, no, I'm not, believe, I don't believe that. I don't, you're, you're just resisting what God is saying. It's an indication of a hardened heart. Also, when you rebel, notice what it says, they rebelled. Don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. Secondly, a hardened heart turns away from God and refuses to obey. You see that in, 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 um, in verse 10 of Hebrews 3. I was angry with them and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, and you don't do it, and you don't do it, and you don't keep on doing it, it means that your heart is getting hardened. A hardened heart is an unbelieving heart that turns away from God. That is in verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Folks, one, I feel one of the worst sins is unbelief. Because unbelief can cause you to lose your eternity. Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. But if you don't believe, it means you can have eternal separation from God. And unbelief is one of the signs of a hardened heart. Look at what Bible says in, um, uh, 
Let's, let's look at it. Let's, let me just continue. Heart and heart also wanders away from God, so it wanders into sin. It wanders away from God, so it wanders into sin. Ephesians 4, 17 says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles or the non-believers do, for they are hopelessly confused. He's talking to the church of Ephesus and saying, You should not live like the Gentiles, and he's describing their condition. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They wander away. And then when sin hardens the heart, what it does is it makes, it, it makes the heart, it kind of desensitizes the hearts to sin. Soon there's no shame in what you do. And that comes in verse 19. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So it's a progression in the hardening of the heart. First you say, I don't believe that. For God. You say, I'm not doing what God says. You're wandering away from God. You're resisting God. And then soon you begin to do well, what do you want to do. And it's, even though it's displeasing to God, you are no longer ashamed of it. The heart is getting hardened. And that is what sin does. It's deceitful. And that is why the writer of Hebrews says, every day encourage one another. Every day encourage one another. So that your hearts are not hardened. You know, a hardened heart can ultimately lead to great judgment from God. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and that's why the judgment came in such a way. Let me move on. Sin also deceives by changing its name, but sin is still sin. Sin change, it, it, it deceives because it will change its name in the society or the culture to make it more acceptable. But folks, sin is sin. God is not tricked by the words we use. You know, the Bible warns us in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There's a warning there. But notice it says, people will call evil good. But it's still evil. You know, during the Second World War, the Nazis that really went after the Jews and exterminated six million. You know one of the phrases they coined during the Nazis for concentration camps? Relocation centers. Relocation centers. It sounds like an, an okay phrase. But the atrocities of the concentration camps nevertheless still happened. And wh whatever they called it, it was still a brutal, brutal time for the Jews. Sin is still sin. It doesn't matter what you call it. A white lie is still a lie. Being economical with the truth, God says, it's a lie. Sin is still sin, no matter how what you call it. Couples living together, friends with benefits. The Bible says it's fornication. Having an affair. It even sounds like a nice phrase. The Bible says it's adultery. <laughs> Don't go quiet on me, amen. <laughs> Covetousness, keeping up with the Joneses. That is a nice phrase, isn't it? Keeping up with the clocks, glory to God. You want, their, you want their, your, your, your lawn to be just like their lawn. You want that pickup truck, glory to God. 